Hello and welcome to the unofficial unsanctioned women's UCI cycling show. My name is Dan and with me as always is my co-conspirator and partner in all things women's cycling who I promised before the podcast that um, because we don't record in video nobody would know she was wearing odd socks. Uh, here's Sarah. How are you Sarah? I'm wearing odd socks, but my feet are so warm and snuggly and life's great. And it's Worlds. We just had Worlds. I mean, you know, talking about people who are warm and snuggly, although I don't think snuggly is yeah, the right I, term. I don't, I don't know if you want to snuggle too much with someone who's just finished a high-intensity bike race in 35-plus degree heat. But, you know, to each their own, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, my God. It was, yeah. I mean, Worlds. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the courses can be terrible, but you know, there's always so much excitement to talk about in terms of how they're raced, and it's and and, and it's, there's so much interest in the junior races, the elite races, surprises, no, a lot of surprises, really. It's yeah, um, yeah. Well, I, like you like you say, and there's a real similarity actually between worlds and and the Olympics, for example, where you know, like the host city moves around, and so you never quite know until it's raced how it's going to play out and and how exciting the race is going to be and and all of that sort of thing um obviously we covered uh all things time trial last week but we've had the uh junior women and elite women's road races since we last spoke which both were were quite exciting um although you know i mean I have to note, as as you mentioned last week, you know there is always a little bit of regret that we didn't get the the full experience of you know Qatari winds, um, you know blowing across the the peloton as they are outside of the confines of the city because courses this year weren't. Yeah, and it's I mean the interesting thing about worlds is they they're supposed to kind of mix it up so different kinds of riders get different kind of chances, but pure sprinters don't often get a course that's built for them um mm. we've seen pure sprinters win on other courses i mean uh georgia bronzini winning in geelong that wasn't a pure sprinters course and that's partly because georgia bronzini isn't a pure sprinter she can get herself over hills she's got incredibly clever tactical you know not that other pure sprinters don't but she's got very 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 clever tactical brake skills and the last time we had a kind of pure sprinters course was in uh, Copenhagen in 2011 which I went to with our dear friend Jens and had a wonderful sign at and even that had a hill in the middle and an uphill drag finish so this is the first time in in a really long time that we've had a completely flat world and I guess part of that is because a completely flat world um the course can be um <laughs> how to put it politely fucking boring yeah you know like it's yeah. not and it's it's oh, an accusation that's often leveled at flat courses, which, while I can understand, I think is sometimes quite unfair because, as you say, one of the things is that pure sprinters don't often get chances, and one of the requisites for a pure sprinter to really get a chance is for there to be a bunch sprint finish. So yeah. you know you kind of you kind of need those courses a little bit sometimes, and I do have to, in my opinion, give a little credit to the organisers in Qatar because while it was possibly almost a, a literally dead flat like put a spirit level on it flat course because most of it was on like reclaimed land and stuff um they did 
make it fairly technical in that there weren't huge long straight drags or anything like that. There was a lot of technical cornering, um, you know, roundabouts everywhere and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, they made use of other things to to add levels of complexity to the course. I'm not saying it made it super technical, but it was... It was no, more than see, just a long, flat, straight drag race. See, I disagree because the thing, we've talked about this before, but the thing about going and racing in Qatar is that it's generally got lots and lots of wind and makes lots of and makes lots of excitement. And so, and I'm a hypocrite here. I just want to claim my hypocrisy. I'm not proud of it. I, I struggle with this every year because Qatar is a really shitty country in terms of human rights. Um, in terms of exploitation of migrant labour, in terms of women's rights, in terms of LGBT rights, in terms of all sorts of things. Um, I think it's great if you are rich and straight and, you know, even then it's like, even then you hear about, you know, there was a Dutch woman who got a, who got, who got um, arrested for, imprisoned for adultery when she was raped last year. You know, it's, it's, you can't, you know, no kissing in public, no wearing clothes, you know, no wearing certain clothes, that kind of thing. But it's really shitty for groups that are already marginalized in a lot of places. And I always feel bad about supporting the ladies tour of Qatar because, you know, I I don't want there to be racing there, but the racing is usually really good, and that makes me a hypocrite, and I struggle with that. But the reason the racing is really good is because it's generally lots and lots and lots of wind. And so the racing in Qatar was, for the women, was all on the pearl, this artificial island that I believe was built by William, you know, it's, it's like a William Gibson nanotech-built island, <laughs> or, you know, or, or it's it's the precursor to that, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, col- I'll accept precursor. I don't think, uh, I, to the best of my knowledge, we haven't loosed, uh, you know, construction nanotech on the world yet. So no, no, and it would actually yeah. be better than having it built by slave labour. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, but um, it's William Gibson esque development, and also completely William Gibson esque in the fact that they're building an is- a luxury island in the face of global warming. Like what the fuck? And then I kind of feel like the society on it is going to be a little bit like some kind of J.G. Ballardian. Um, his books like Min- <laughs> well, he. I was thinking about High Rise and Millennium People. These these yeah. books about how how mad architecture and living conditions can kind of warp the human spirit and bring out the worst in us, you know? And so I kind of feel, and then there's also the burning desert, which, sorry, the burning <laughs> land, I think it's called, which is all about what happens when there's no water. So <laughs> I, I don't know what kind of podcast we've just morphed into, but it's super interesting to me, <laughs> like dystopic science fiction, architectural cycling. Is. Yeah. <laughs> Is that that you jam? Our, that's, 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 a podcast, that's a podcast title, isn't it? Right there. But it's yeah, it's but it's like it's like it's like it's like nothing on earth. It's it's this extraordinary place. And as I've said all the way through, worlds, worlds is like they're racing. The week after the zombie apocalypse has happened, and there might still be zombies lurking in the buildings, and that's why they're riding super fast. But it's like it's like there's been the zombie apocalypse, and this race has been put on to demonstrate that it's actually completely safe to be out there, completely fine. <laughs> but there's no people around. Like like it's just it's just extraordinary. Um, so the world the. the and, and the pearl, I think I might have to, uh, forgive me if you've heard me say this before, but the pearl is completely super weird because parts of it is very, very luxury, high end brands, high end, 
you know, shops, restaurants, hotels. It's got a fake Venice part of it that's been built with canals and gondolas. Well, you know, but it's, it's good also... enough for Vegas. It's good enough for an Arab desert, I guess. Yeah, so. but then it's got this. Then it's got this place which is a luxury beach resort, which was being built back in 2011 and 2012. And originally in Qatar, you're only allowed to buy alcohol from specific licensed places and only if you're a foreigner. Mm -hmm. So you can buy alcohol from a very small number of shops to drink at home and you can buy alcohol in some hotels. And they were going to, they'd relax the rules about alcohol being able to be served on the Pearl. So it could be served in restaurants, for examples, and, and, and resorts. And they changed that back in 2012 and so a lot of big name restaurants left. I think the Gordon Ramsay restaurant left because, you know, what's the point of, we, of having a restaurant if we can't make a profit by, <laughs> by screwing you all on alcohol sales? For, for Gordon and, Ramsay, that's also, I mean, that's like asking him to run a restaurant without swearing. Like, it yeah. just can't be done. <laughs> but they, but this beach resort, the work stopped in 2013 because they were like, hang on, I'm not sure we can have a beach resort where, you know, A, that's in the desert, B, that's completely incredibly hot, and C, where we can't even sell alcohol to people. So they've got these kind of big, um, so some of the places are like building sites that are being worked on, but some of them have been building sites that have been abandoned for over three years, which... And then you've got these amazing green spaces, like the most lush green, you know, you'd almost mm. think they were astroturf, but you know it's not. And you're like, shit, this is this greenery in the desert. It's just madness. It, the whole place was madness. <sighs> and, that's, I don't and, know. and that's before the racing even began. So, you know... Um, right, look, let's start, with, let's start with the junior women's race and, um, and see where we get to. Oh, can we just talk about that course? Okay, the other thing about the course is on paper, I thought it looked like a super technical course because it's all uh, U-turns and roundabouts and tight corners and, you know, going into a tight corner and coming out of it at a, you know, at a 30-degree um, angle, that kind of thing. But because the roads are all incredibly wide, like there was nothing that was less than two. Well, actually, the only part of the time the road narrowed was through the feed zone, um, which was shit. Um, but like they weren't like the, so while it looks technical on paper it wasn't that technical right and it's and that's what's kind of disappointing about it really because it didn't have the things that make there was pretty much it was very very hard to escape on mm. and mm. it was pretty much and the men got 150 kilometers in the desert before they came back into onto the pearl and did their laps of the their laps of the pearl but it was very hard to get away on but that doesn't mean that people didn't try well it's it's women's racing. Of course they tried. Um, I think you make a really good point about the, the relative width of the road, though. I mean, you know, we talk about that often, or most often, I guess, as a comparison between US racing and European racing. But mm. um, certainly I, I take your point about the course, because like I said, I, I thought it was, you know, sort of the one um, sort of redeeming factor in the course was that it was reasonably technical. But yeah, you, you do make a good point that the width of the roads or the available width of the roads almost counteracted that, um, completely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it's... Um, yeah. Like, like, where do you want to go? Uh, junior women? Then, juniors. Or... Yep. Juniors. Yep. Yeah. And junior women, we've, it's, it's junior women are awesome. You know, if you know me, you know, I go to get misty eyed talking about the bright young sparks, hope of the future, positivity juniors. Oh my God. It's, but you know, it's, it's lovely. And, and the best thing is, is you sit there, if you're someone like me 
And I've been to the Energy Water twice. I've worked on the Energy Water twice, which has the junior stage race. It's one of the biggest, probably the biggest junior. Yes, I would say the biggest junior stage race there is. And so there's a lot of ride, young young riders' names I know, and I watch for the junior results around Europe, European Championships and stuff like that. But I've got no idea <laughs> how that. Um, how how that how that compares to other to other young riders <laughs> uh. i mean especially the aussies and you know we know that for example skylar schneider in america she's been racing the elites and doing well in the crits for example which means yeah that means that you know if you're winning crits or coming on the podium in crits against elite riders while you're on junior gears then you're probably going to do quite well here in this world because you know that they're, they're and okay so so we know about her but we don't know about but we don't know about, you know, we don't know about the young Australians, you know, we know, oh, well, she's the Oceania champ, but Oceania champs aren't mm. the same as um, <laughs> European champs, are they? No, well, I mean, it's it's literally a smaller pool of nations for a start and also not mm. a strong cycling nation. So, yeah, obviously it's it's very different, but it's, it's a good point. And also then... Um, but you know, not just not just the far flung places like Australia, New Zealand, or South Africa, or or um, you know Thailand, or or wherever. We've also got enough depth, you know, um, in in riders from countries that we don't see a lot of uh, anyway. You know, um, that that it certainly makes it interesting to to watch the junior race and see who is. Um, doing really well and i i encourage anyone who hasn't seen the the women's junior race yet to watch it if for nothing else then an absolute master class in why sarah always rates the italians so highly at worlds <laughs> no no but seriously seriously because if you can train your juniors this well then you know you've got your program set up right you know well, sort of. I mean, yes. We. I mean, part of the problem that the Italians have is they're very, very, very good at getting junior girl, junior women to worlds. But there's a very interesting thing about what happens next because what's been happening in recent years, at least, is that junior women start out on sorry, post junior women, you know, first year elites start out on Italian teams, but they only really start to develop once they go to international teams. So. And that's of this clock, so you can say Barbara Gorishi, obviously Lisa Longo-Borghini, Elena Cicchini, um, uh, Maria Giulia Confandonieri. There, there's all kinds of riders who who you want to do better than that. You know, that, that you wonder why do they take, a, you know, why don't they, why do they, why do they not step up as easy? So, for example, with the Dutch, you can have Flirtje Mackay, who wasn't junior world champion, but was a very, very, very strong, amazing junior, and she's kind of gone straight into the elites and been learning her trade and we'll have another rider that we'll just want to talk about later in the elite races who was a fantastic junior who did really really well in the elites in a ways that the young italians don't but yes dan is right the italians something about pulling on an italian national team jersey just gives them an extra like 10 percent um definitely but i mean you, you know i i also i mean and and certainly the there's no questioning the the enormous pride that they have in in representing um you know italy but i i also really do want to pay credit to the the discipline that they showed in in their finale um, yeah can we yeah, yeah. yes i mean it's not just i think part of it is the the, the italians and the dutch um out of all the countries have so many 
so many amazing riders and not just at elite level but at junior level that riders have had to fight really hard to get into the team and they know that just going to worlds is a massive massive privilege in a way that it's not for a lot of countries like mm. you know it, there's there's a lot of you know if you look down the start list there's a whole load of riders who you're like yeah you know she's a great rider but this course will never suit her or she's a great you know she's she's a really good development rider but the italians and the dutch don't do that they send i mean you know sometimes they send development riders very specifically but they everyone who's got there has had to work probably harder than you do for the win to get there you know they've 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 had to fight off they've got really good strong structures with lots and lots of racing and they've had to really prove themselves mm, lots of contenders be, for each spot yeah yeah, yeah. So, the, so so the italians respond to this by any one of us who wins it's a win for all of us yep. like it's it's the way they are they're just famous for it they they're just wonderful at it they they kind of go in with this amazing spirit and the race was a problematic one because they started off with a huge crash like a huge crash that took out a lot of riders and pushed back a lot of riders as well. So you had like some of the strongest Dutch women, for example, um, Dutch sprinters were like just held up and could never get back to the front. So it was a difficult race for the Dutch to start off with, but they still had, um, especially Carline Swinkles, uh, attacking and attacking and trying and trying to get away. And they had various small groups form, but nothing could form. And it kind of came down in the last couple of kilometers with the Italians just stamping all over the race and if you look at 3k to go and 2k to go you can see carline swinkles on the front and i'm like thinking why is carline swinkles on the front she's just helping the dutch and then you realize that she's trying to get away (laughs) (laughs) she's not on the front because she's working on the front she's on the front because she's literally trying to escape and the dutch are not and the italians are not letting her yeah yeah and boy were they not letting her they they owned the last couple of kilometers of that race they did the most incredible lead out like their lead out was they had they had four of their five riders on the front with another rider Letizia Pazza Letizia Pazza Paternosta like um sitting like five wheels back from that sprint train so that if anyone else had gone away she could have I don't know whether she couldn't get into the sprint train or if anyone else had gone away she was there to kind of wheel jump on them but they had this like textbook textbook sprint train of super fast so you keep the speed up so no one can attack off the front of it no other sprint train could even form alongside mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. it was just you look at it and it's just like this weird clump of riders with in this with this like little line of of, of italians of, of Itali- just hanging out the front like a like a lance for a, a joust or something like it was it was just like you say it was textbook and as as each rider pulled off they were upping the pace slightly you know just to really keep that pressure ramping up um it was it was great yeah Yeah, so they kind of go they kind of have the lead out and as they hit the end elisa balsamo um their their, their lead sprinter just finishes it off Mm. completely perfectly totally dominantly time to get her arms in the air um just wonderfully skylar schneider of of the usa second and my race favorite actually Susanna anderson young norwegian rider who i really had high hopes for but she was actually hit by a car after the itt riding home yeah yeah 
Which, it's amazing she was riding. It's, it's just... amazing she was riding. And and to be fair to her, she actually she's the one who kicked off the last part of the the sprint. You know, the the Italian lead out took it all the way to to I don't know 150 meters out or something. And um and Susanna was the one who jumped to try and get the the early move over the top. And um and Skylar went with her. Uh, and you know Elisa. Uh, saw it coming and made her move and, and she just had the legs and had the right position and, and was able to take it all the way for the win. So, great sprint finish. You know, one of the things I loved most was you could see it as it happened, but in the race replay it's especially noticeable, but the last um, sprint, the last leader Italian rider was Chiara Consoni and as she pulled off, she pulled to the side and she's got her arms in the air and she's cheering her head off and yelling even before Balsamo had crossed the line. <laughs> which which is fantastic, and you always love to see that sort of thing. Um, and and I would never have guessed, having seen the, the video you showed me of um, the podium ceremony with the Italian girls singing the, the national anthem. Well, should I say singing or shouting the national anthem? I normally hate it when you send me singing videos, but that was one that had me laughing with delight the whole way through. Yeah, they they had they showed the video and and you have Elisa Balsamo doing that thing of you know when you can literally see someone understanding what she's done and you know we talked about this last week I talk about all this to all the time it's especially poignant to me with 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 the seventeen and eighteen year old juniors because you know their 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 peers are getting their first freedoms they're you know going you know going dating getting their first cars getting their first jobs having you know being able to go out partying exploring you know becoming young adults basically. And these riders are giving up a ton of that kind of, you know, basic teenage hedonism in order to work and train and work and train. And so when you do it, when you get out there and you realise that you've done it and you can do it and I've won and I'm the world champion and it's just, I can't, I can't, it's just, I can't help it. I get very soppy about it. So there's Elisa Balsamo kind of in like happy tears on the podium. And then there's her, then there's um, uh, Consoni and Paternoster and Martina Fidanzo and Lisa Mozenti um, arm in arm singing the anthem, sing shouting the anthem. And it's yeah. just, just huge delight. Well, <laughs> it's my, adorable. It's so adorable. And, and the thing, the thing is in the end, I couldn't decide which I liked more, you know, which I found cuter was whether it was their enthusiasm for the anthem or the fact that they were all still wearing their helmets. <laughs> but, <laughs> But either way, it works. It just works. My, the other thing I noticed, favorite... speaking of replay moments, the other thing that I really liked on the replay, which, you know, is partly an aesthetic thing, but it's partly a testament to, like, it, it, for me, it was a visualization of the amount of power that goes into a sprint that you sort of don't normally see, was um, the, the slow-mo head-on replay. You could see Skylar Schneider's braid whipping from side to side, like, quite violently. And it, to me, it was just a really interesting, you know, visualization of, of you know, like we often see it in how much the bike rocks back and forth, but actually seeing, you know, that that sort of follow through from, I don't know, neck muscles or something, I guess, was um, was pretty cool visually. No, Seth, tell everyone your analogy that you used earlier. I said, uh, what did I say? Oh, that's right. I said it was whipping back and forth like a predatory cat's tail about to pounce. So, yeah. It was, yeah, it was gorgeous. There were so many moments that were lovely. I mean, obviously, so one of the problems with the road races, all of the road races, was that it's very, very hot. And they have a, one feed zone that they're allowed to feed from. 
And then there was supposed to be a roving car and a roving motorbike delivering water. But during the under-23 men's race, the roving car and moto um, ran out of water halfway through the race. And as someone made a joke, like I was talking about how the moto, the the water moto was finding it really hard to hand hand water over to riders in the under-23 men's race. And as someone said, yeah, it's ironic that the only motorbike that doesn't get close too close to the riders is the one that's supposed to be giving them water. Yeah, yeah. But but there are these little moments like you could see riders drinking and passing a water bottle to someone who wasn't on her team. Yeah. Like and that was lovely. And there was this moment where so this big group of riders at the at the finish who were the the, the last group of riders who were allowed to finish, who'd been who they had some I think they had Micah Bugard who was uh, who's like one of the top favourite sprinters in it. And they were, they, they had a really hard race, but they'd kept riding, they'd kept riding, they kept riding. And they came up to the line, like just putting one arm, you know, riding with one arm on the next girl's shoulders. So they're riding on one long line along the, along the finish. Yeah, yeah. And they're all from different nations and they've obviously worked really hard together and looked after each other. And then they sprinted for the line, which was also hilarious <laughs> because, you know, there's teamwork, but there's also, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's also Worlds. And, you know, how often do you get to sprint for the line at Worlds? So, yeah. And there's also, yeah. there's also, you know, there was there things like as, um, as they pulled over the line, Simona Egg from Denmark, like, was, you know, putting her hand up to congratulate Susanna Anderson. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's... There are these moments that's just that are just lovely to see that kind of oh god I'm getting ridiculously soppy but you know the kind of international sports just joy of it you know this yeah, is sports yeah. this is sport this is what sport is supposed to be like your deadly rivals on the road but you're also looking out for each other and you know it was just oh it's lovely and tons so yes yeah, so there's tons and tons of riders that we should that we should look out for and love in the future that just that just deserve deserve you know deserve all the all the congratulations in the world i'm just so happy for them you know and anyone who raced and and even started it was a it was a major deal and it was a horrible race and totally gutted for the um for the riders who crashed because you know imagine crashing in your you know and this is what you've worked for for years and years and fuck you've all crashed and now you're out of the race and it's oh so top 10, one, Elisa Balsamo from Italy, two, Skylar Schneider from the USA, three, Susanna Anderson from Norway, uh, four, Carolina, Carolina Perakitko from Poland, who I've never heard of, which is exciting, five, Letizia Pazzanozza of Italy, um, Emma Norsgaard uh, oh, uh, of Denmark in sixth, um, Francisca Blausch from Germany in seventh, Sandra Alonso Dominguez of Spain in eighth, Leanne Lippert, Lippert of Germany in ninth, and Simona Egg, uh, tenth of Denmark, um, with Carline Schwinkels, who really, 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 really tried all the way through the race in um, in eleventh. And I was totally wrong about it being. And yeah, I mean, gutted, 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 gutted for the Dutch. Um, it was it was Ariana uh, it was Ariana Prusha who was the Dutch rider in the last group ten minutes back who was their um you know who was their big big sprinter that they expected you know that they've had big hopes right, for right. and yeah just I oh, it was awesome it was just really really awesome to have just a really awesome race and I'm happy to have watched it and I'm especially happy because for the last load of years we haven't seen the juniors and so this total luxury of being able to watch them all the way through but also that typical thing of yeah we absolutely should have been able to watch it all the way through because that was a fucking great race yeah yeah absolutely and you know it's 
Um, I guess one of the benefits of, of Qatar is that we we were reasonably certain we were going to get decent coverage. So, yeah. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, moving um, on. Moving on to the eights. Um, started off interestingly because the first thing we heard was that Georgia Bronzini wasn't racing. She was sick. Yeah, a bit crook, which um, which sucks. Um, it, it's, you know, one of those things that, um, to be perfectly honest, I'm not overly surprised, just given the general conditions in Qatar, um, you know, and then add to the fact that it's a long way to travel to get there and all that sort of thing, you know, like, it's not overly surprising that someone becomes ill, but it's not great that, that that's how her world's ended. Mm. Hmm. It's... It's, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's hard, it's difficult. We had had good Bronzini news in that she's not retiring. <laughs> I've known that for ages! <laughs> <laughs> or at least I've heard rumours of it for ages. But Georgia Bronzini is meant to be retiring after this year's Worlds, but I don't think she can keep away. <laughs> she's having one more season! Yep, one more season until until she decides she's not, so, yes. yes. Oh, I mean, I'm super happy because Bronzini is such a fun... Um, such a fun rider and a uh, great yeah. personality to have a real, you know, real asset to women's cycling. So absolutely. But, and, and we've but... also seen in, sorry, I just wanted to add, um, you know, her role as um, a senior and, and lead rider in wheel has really expanded over the last couple of seasons. And that's been really cool to see too. And I, I, you know, I think, I think her being around for one more year is going to be great, not just for herself, but for her team. So, yeah, and for young, you know, Bronzini when she retires, it's made no secret that what she wants to do is coach young riders. Mm, mm. Like she said, she said she doesn't want to do juniors because she's a bit scared that she might ruin them for life. <laughs> but you know, younger riders or or the or the girls out the, the young riders outside of you know the under twenty three categories, I would love to see Georgia Bronzini take over the under twenty three women's Italian team. Oh goodness me! Oh, Give God, it would be terrifying. Chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but Giorgio Bronzini had been one of the big, big favourites. And although the Italians had Martha Bastianelli and um, and Barbara Gorlici as their sprinters, and also Elisa Longo-Borghini and Elena Cecchini to try and escape, it was, it was. I think it's fair to say that Giorgio Bronzini missing was more for the, like she's an amazing road captain, a tactician. And I think that the Italian team lost a lot of confidence not having Bronzini. Yeah, look, I, but, I think that's probably quite true, yeah. Um. You know, is um, a lot of experience for her, and as you you said, you know she's she's won um, twice in not in in on courses much more similar to this than any others of recent years. Even though they both had their own hills and stuff, you know, like she she was definitely going to be a major tactical um, bonus uh, on the road. Yes. Yeah, and we had some big name sprinters. We had Chloe Hosking as the um, could could the Aussies win their first women's road world championships which i find extraordinary that they haven't but they mm, haven't mm. olympics but not the not the worlds um other big sprint you know we had we had uh, lizzie dana lizzie armistead um of of great britain with hannah barnes in there as a as a great as a great sprinter we had of course the dutch the biggest team in yeah. the um in the in the race like by by miles every single dutch rider could have won worlds um on this course just yep. extraordinary extraordinary strength just ridiculous like unbelievably bonkers yeah, bonkers yeah, just, um, just loaded to the gills absolutely and then you, then look you at have the t- germans 
Um, yeah, the Germans didn't have a pure sprinter, but they had Trixie Warwick, who is incredibly yeah. just genius, and Lisa Blenauer, who can win from a bunch sprint environment. Exactly. You had almost solo riders who, well, riders who are racing with really small teams, um, sprinters, Lotte Lepisto, um, uh, um, uh, um, Amelia Diedrichsen from Denmark, uh, Christina Mayerus from Luxembourg. Riders like uh, Diedrichsen and Mayerus, who are normally um normally the the Bowles Dolmans uh domestiques, but you know, you're like, yes, they know their they know their rivals' weaknesses inside out, having worked for them. Hmm. Um the Americans had the team where they only had one sprinter in uh Corin Rivera, yeah, yeah. but I think this was the American team that could work better together yeah. from than than any other than any other American team. You have the French who have two amazing sprinters in Roxana Fournier, Roxana Fournier and Pascal Juland and who always seem to get a rider in the top ten. Like it was just it's just phenomenal. Um phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal field and you know, really and then you have riders like uh like um Emma Johansson, who's been known to win out of a bunch of sprints just by being clever. Mm, mm. You've got the Canadians, Leah Kirkman and uh, and Joel Newmanville, who both could have got to the podium. Yolene Dora uh, from yeah, Belgium, Emilia yep. uh, Moberg, just just stacked, stacked field. And mm. yeah. <sighs> yeah. And it's that. Yeah, I mean the thing is, it's one and it's one of those things where you have to divorce: is this a boring race or is this a boring course? And it was a very boring course. We, the the Americans had learned their lesson; they weren't all on the front for the first couple of laps, which was interesting. The Brits were on the front for a first couple of laps, but after a couple of laps, it just went boom, and that was when the Dutch just started hitting it. Well, I mean, this is the thing: if you're the Dutch team and you know that you've got the hot favorite for the course and or any race in Qatar. And you also, have, you also have a team that is stacked. Like you say, literally everyone on the team could be a, qualified, you, could, could be a, you, a legitimate contender to win. Then you're you only look at a, it, you look at, yeah, yeah. Sorry. You, you look at it and you say, who is Kirsten Veal's biggest rival on this kind of race? And you go, actually, I think her biggest rival is Mariana Voss. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and <laughs> so when they're working together... You just keep going down the team. So obviously the only choice for the Dutch really was to to put the attack out and just really punish everyone else um, as much as possible unless someone was able to get a breakaway going over the top. I don't understand. Like, I mean, I loved it. I loved how the Dutch raced it because with that team, they would have been absolutely well within their rights to have bossed the pack, just let it go round and round and round in circles, you know, not let anything go away, take it over, put out an incredible lead out and have Kirsten Veeld win it. Yeah, mm, mm. could have. But but no, this is the Dutch, and they just attacked and attacked and attacked and attacked and attacked. And then you know you've got like Voss going, and you've got that typical thing of who chases who. Because every time Voss goes, you get like Lizzie Dana and Lizzie Armstead and and um, and Emma Johansson chasing her. Now the thing I don't understand is the Dutch were clearly deciding to make it hard and wanting to win in any way it happened because hey they could yeah. Yep. And so what I don't understand is why every time Voss went or one of their riders went, other riders would chase them down, would catch them, and then let the, the Dutch rider sit on the front until she was just like, fuck this, sat up a bit, and then the pack came back for them, or the pack came, or, or the pack came back for them. What I don't understand is had I, is any other team 
what could have happened is you jumped up to say Chantal Bluck or Ellen Van Dyke or Mariana Voss, and then you took your turn and you got a breakaway going. Yeah, well, that's the bit that blew me away. Is I didn't understand. Okay, and obviously I'm I'm doing this with my biased Aussie hat on, but I, I honestly didn't understand why you know Tiff Cromwell um, for the Aussies and and say Emma. Um, Johansson and and one or two, one, even just one other writer didn't go across. Lizzie on Dana. One, yeah, Lizzie on one of those, and even without Voss's, like you don't have to say a word to Voss if those three start working. Voss is staying with your bunch, like you know. Voss and, is going to work with you too. And now, all of a sudden, people... you're in a you're in a four way race, which is a lot better than a what we just went through like twenty odd contenders for a bunch sprint finish. I'd yeah. take I'd take four to one any day. Yeah, you know. and is it better? Is it better to end up on the podium? Yeah, better out having gone in a breakaway with Voss and being beaten by Voss in the podium. But maybe she gets a puncture. But maybe uh, yeah. Emma Johansson does want to attack. You know, maybe you're Emma Johansson. Is she Damon? You know, like all of those things. Like take your yeah. chances. Yeah. But 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 you know but but all those riders who weren't taking their chances, those breakaway riders who weren't taking their chances, are never going to beat Kirsten Field in a sprint. So I can completely understand why the bunch sprinters, like if you're, I don't know, Lotta Lepisto, mm, I can understand mm. why you're not why you're not going for it, you know, or yeah, you know, yeah. but I, you know, one of the Germans, like, surely you're better off with a yeah. almost guarantee with a, with a chance of a medal, even if it's silver or bronze, than you are with a chance of going up in a bunch sprint against Kirsten Wild slash Mariana Voss slash Ellen Van Dyke attacking at three kilometers to go. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, it just exactly. It's just like there's so many scenarios for so many teams who looked on paper to have the right makeup of of riders to do that, you know, to have that option covered. Like I totally yeah. get that, you know, for example, for the Australians, Chloe was our, our big opportunity in terms of a sprint finish and our, our main hopes are pinned on her. But to me, I don't understand why you, you put Tiff Cromwell in the team if you're not going to say part of your job is to be a rogue agent and get into a break if you can if you and especially a break that is going to stay away get into it and especially because she's got a very very fast finish on her you know there's, mm. there's like you look at those and anyway it, it was it was it was just bizarre and i feel like the italians not having bronzini affected this dynamic too yeah. because i think that with bronzini a bronzini would have probably tried to get into a break but b bronzini would have said to elisa or someone go get in a break yeah like they yeah. did have race radios but it's different having your team you know team boss doing that and bronzini going no go yeah yeah exactly who and it's that thing of a uh, radio voice in your ear or your road captain who you've ridden with all season who is on the road beside you and in the same conditions and in the same race and can feel everything around you saying go, you know, and yeah, yeah. but it, I mean, it was just, it was just surprising. And, and I mean, and when you see Lizzie Dana and Emma Johansson and Emma Johansson's last worlds, Oh my God. Like, Oh, we've talked about Emma Johansson mm. before. She doesn't take risks. She's got a very, very strong record of multiple, multiple seconds and thirds. But, you know, as Jens once said, Emma would, Emma, Emma, if Emma Johansson took risks, yeah, she wouldn't have so many in seconds and thirds, but she'd have more wins. Yep, yep. And I, I, I mean, I guess you know maybe they couldn't. Maybe it was maybe that maybe it was very very hot. It was very very difficult conditions. Maybe they couldn't. Maybe they all they could do was get up to, for example, Marianne Evos yeah, yeah. and not go on. So you know, it's easy to armchair quarterback the the racing, especially you know, especially on massively super hot days. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's. 
Yeah, it, that, I mean that's a that's a very valid point. But anyway, so the point being that the the race didn't play out the way that I would have thought. Even on the night, you know, we were we were talking to each other, um, watching the race together, and and talking about this exact thing. Couldn't understand why more teams weren't trying to make a break work, but that's the way it was. So for the vast majority of it, we had lots and lots of attacks, um, occasional riders getting away, but um, mostly being caught and, and brought back semi semi. Um, I don't want to say easily, but steadily, um, until we saw the Americans make a move. Yeah, and they sent Amber Neben. Amber Neben, obviously, um, 41 years old, oldest woman in the race, just won the uh, ITT. ITT Championship, yeah. Definitely, actually, I think she's the oldest woman in the race. I take that back. Um, she's definitely the oldest woman in the ITT. Um, went out for a solo move. Great for her because, um, you know, great for the Americans because... If she gets to solo, that's completely perfect. She wins. Uh, great for the Americans because if she's chased back, um, Corin Rivera is still sitting there fresh in the bunch and the rest of them are fresh in the bunch to win. Mm. And great for the Dutch, really, because, you know, well, you've got one person out there solo, you can just control the pace. And they have that, you know, you have that thing in sprint races where it's quite, you know, when do you catch back the last attacker? If you catch her back too soon, then... Other attack, other better attacks ping off the front, you know, ping off the front of it because you can't, you know, you can't keep the speed up too high or, you know, at 10k to go as you can at 3k to go, for example. Um, so you have that thing about when do you try and catch them? How much of a gap do you leave? Because if you leave too small a gap, someone else is going to go, you know what, fuck it, dive out of the front catch Amman even either work with her and then it becomes dangerous or overtake her and do her own solo attack. So it's always, it's always a kind of juggling at which the Dutch managed perfectly because Amber Neben was never going to get away and win and in the last couple of in the last two laps the Dutch were going all out for a bunch sprint and just like the Italians they did everything right in they just oh in those last kilometers where they've got all of the Dutch on the front and they've got like probably the best team time trial team in the world mm. with Anna van der Breger and Annemiek van Vleuten and uh, Ellen van Dijk and Marianne Voss up there and Amy Peters and, and Chantal Black and it's just it was so fast it was just extraordinary I mean at one point I thought maybe they were going to take off and have like a Dutch one two three four five six at the win <laughs> because they were it was that it was that fast coming yeah, to the finish yeah. oh it was amazing and, absolutely amazing and just uh, a real um, exhibition of their power not just as individual riders but as a team it was they did everything right you know they did everything right they maybe started maybe maybe they ended up with two riders with Voss leading oh my god you start out with these time trial queens and then you end up with Voss as your lead out rider Voss just got one of that one of the, she's one of the best bunch sprinters in the world got this incredible top end speed maybe they the third rider came off you know maybe they'd planned it slightly wrong and the third rider came off too soon but Kirsten Field is known for very long power sprints and so you had Voss on the front pull off and then Veald on the front looked like a guaranteed Veald win but <laughs> it was it was everything was going perfectly descript not just for the Dutch but for every every two-bit podcast host or co-host who dared to make a prediction for the race um was was there and going you know what this is this is field all over the dutch are going to take it all the way to the line lead it out and and field's going to finish it off easy that's that's the race done barely need to run it to see the result and instead um 
we all got a little well i certainly got a little bit of a surprise i i haven't seen anyone claim to have predicted it um, well <laughs> well <laughs> because amelie didrickson amelie didrickson two times junior world champion 20 years old um being working for balls dolmans all year had been fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting to keep the position she wanted most in the world bang on Veal's wheel so that as Veal increased her top speed, Diedrichsen, invisible during the entire race, as a good sprinter should be, popped out of the side, overtook and won. <laughs> Just like, like in... in... In a perfect move that if you told me a, a, a two-time winning 20-year-old, you know, Danish rider would, would do, I, I would have been like, yeah, but you mean like in a few years' time, right? Like, I just, it was it was amazing. It was just, She was... Oh, amazing. It was genius. She worked, she, she Lotte Lesto came in third, and... Um, Diedrichsen and Napisto, they both talked about having a big fight with each other to keep Field's wheel. And I need to kind of go back and watch that a couple of times to see, <laughs> you know, to kind of watch it from them fighting each other because I don't think it was a friendly fight, although they were, you know, obviously they weren't um, getting at each other afterwards. But yeah, no, I'd said the funny thing is, you know that I do my equivalenting. Yeah. Um, where if people who are new to men, women's cycling don't know much about it, I'll tell they'll, they'll tell you what kind of rider they like, and I'll give them an equivalent to cheer for. Yep. And someone asked me that they wanted the type of they, what they wanted to cheer for was a rider who normally buries herself. His, his favorite riders were riders who bury themselves for their teammates and then get a win. Right. And so I gave him uh, Christina Mayerus and Amelie Diedrichsen as two riders who are normally domestiques but could win here. Well, there you go. There you go. And I did say, not quite, she not much... quite a prediction, but right up there, and, and the closest to a prediction I've heard from anyone. So. And I and 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 it's and and the guy after was going, yeah, that was good, that was good, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> but what he didn't realise because Bridie O'Donnell said that she was on no one's shortlist that she knew. I said she's on my shortlist, and she's like, yeah, but your shortlist is longer than everyone else's. <laughs> That's also a fair point. That is also a very now, fair point. <laughs> Emily did. I think. I think now. The Dutch did nothing wrong. This wasn't no. a case of them fucking up at the last minute. No, no, no This was just all. a case of Emilia Didrikson just being fast, being able to keep up there with Veeld yeah. and being faster than her at the finish. Well, I mean, in post-race interviews, Veeld, in that characteristic Dutch but also Kirsten Veeld way, was, you know, very much saying that she went too early, you know, and, and taking, you know, responsibility for, for her actions in the race and and the result but i mean that's also her disappointment at that point in time but in terms of technical you know things and and tactical things they they race the race to perfection it's just that emily emily dirksen was just slightly more perfect and one of my favorite one of my favorite bits in the write-up was um someone someone said she she did that thing where she only found herself caught in the wind once as she came round field, <laughs> <laughs> I I think she wrote. I I wrote afterwards. I put on Twitter that she won it like Georgia Bronzini would have won it. Yeah, yeah. And Georgia Bronzini favourite of that. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, she did. She won it like Bronzini would have done in that she stayed invisible throughout the whole mm, race. Mm. And she's so kind because she's, you know, bigging up her teammates. She had two teammates um, racing with her, yeah. uh, Julia Lett, uh, who's awesome. I love Julia Lett. And um, Cecilia, Cecilia Utrop. Um, oh, sorry, Cecilia Utrop. I always forget your surname. Cecilia Utrop. Jonsson, I think, and they were, you know, and and but but you know, these were not, these were not. Um, so sorry, Ludwig, Ludwig. Now, they do have a top secret. Now, obviously, Amelie and Emily Diedrichsen in her post race interview was like, yeah, I've always dreamed about, I've always dreamed about being world champion, but I didn't think I could do it at twenty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, amazing. But, and they've only been, they've only been a handful of riders who've been both junior and world champion. And that includes Mariana Voss, Marta Bastianelli, um, Jeannie Longo, now Amelia, Amelia Diedrichsen, uh, and Catherine Marcel. And Catherine Marcel is a French woman who um, was not... Sometimes she was riding against Jeannie Longo, even though they were in the same team, because Jeannie Longo was a whole fucking thing to herself. And, yeah, Catherine Marcel was a French woman. She she was junior world champion, elite world champion, won the hour record, won the Giro many multiple world champion and is now the danish national team's coach well you know i i you can see you can see the influence of a quality coach can't you and they've been and the danish i mean julia let was julia let was saying in the post-race interview that that yeah denmark has always um in her post always had very very good young junior talent but they've mm. been very bad at translating that in for the women into elite success and so, you know, and, and Catherine Marcel is really, I've met, she, like normally you see Catherine Marcel around with a very young developmental type Danish team, you know, like they're at Energiewachter or at, or at uh, Tour de Ladesh or something like that. And, and it might be, or she might be in charge of a Scandinavian mixed team that's young riders that aren't going to trouble the podium, yep. but they see their experience. And this, and so afterwards, when you've got um, Utrup Ludwig and Nett and Catherine Marcel watching, again watching Didoxen on the um, on the on the on, on the, the podium. podium, yeah, yeah, and you've got Catherine just biting back tears, like gulping back tears, because she's so 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 happy for them. She's a she's an adopted Dane. <laughs> <laughs> she moved out to Denmark for love, and you know, and she's she's an adopted Dane, and this was just. Yeah. Oh, oh. What an achievement. What an I, absolutely I, stunning I, achievement. I'm actually uh, not quite as good as you You giving someone, Emily, to, to follow the race, but I actually, um, on Sunday night, a mate of mine uh, who lives in, in Tokyo um, hit me up online to see what I was doing, and I said, oh, yeah, I'm watching the race and sent him the link. So he started watching. And I guess if you're going to start watching women's cycling, Worlds is not a bad first toe in the water i suppose um and it was really interesting because he joined at probably around the 40k mark a little bit before amber nebin um went for her flyer and he was riveted and like within within 15 minutes i'm getting abusive messages from him going fuck you i'm meant to be working but i can't you know and then and then five minutes later agonized messages i really need to go to the loo but i you've got to tell me is it safe to go because what if something happens while I'm away <laughs> and stuff like that and um and so it was quite cool to to get him utterly addicted he was um a little crushed to find out that there's uh not a lot of racing after world so so 
Yeah. Mm, mm. I mean, they rode it. They rode that course as well as they could have done. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm, I would have, I would have loved to seen a Veald win. You know, it would have been yeah. a bit too. It would have been a bit textbook because Kirsten Veald is the queen of Qatar racing. Um, I would have loved to seen a Voss. I would have cried if Voss had won. I mean, just if it had gone to my ideal thing, which would have been a breakaway got away and then Voss won from a breakaway, I would have wept. And, you know, because Voss has had a shitty couple of years, but equally, you know that Voss loves riding for her teammates. Yeah. I think Kirsten Veald saying, yeah, second, it's... Uh, She's like, yeah, it, it's one thing to it's one thing to get second from a breakaway, but it's really shit to get, you know, then, then I'd be OK with it. But it's shit to get a second from a, yeah. <laughs> from a sprint. Yeah. And it was her birthday. And, you know, and when you're a pure sprinter, you know that there aren't going to be that many chances of another pure sprinting world. Yeah. Yeah. Coming up well, you can still do it. However, two things. One, we know that after Bergen in 2018, it's going to be Yorkshire Worlds, which is very exciting if you're British. Hurrah! But the apparently the Dutch are applying for Worlds in 2020, and they specifically want Worlds to be in the Drenthe and Groningen regions, right? which is the home of the Energiewachter and the Ronde van Drenthe. Now, I don't know if September in the Netherlands is as full of wind and destruction carnage as 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 it is in spring but if we're gonna have when we have another flat world i would die for it to be yeah. a properly windy dutch well what flat percentage dutch star racing what percentage of dutch electricity is produced by wind power again like i'm pretty sure <laughs> i'm pretty sure it's blowing a gale all year round i i mean people have said they're talking about it not being in the kind of most crazy regions like, i really wanted to go over the vanberg the man-made mountain, <laughs> mountain. <laughs> the man-made climb made out of landfill that we see the Ronde van Drenthe, and I wanted it to go over the Ronde van Drenthe bonkers cobbles, and I wanted it to go through those those empty fields, desolate fields, where go. the wind feels like you're I just, going. <laughs> I just looked it up. So, uh, nearly twenty percent of all Dutch electricity is produced by wind. So. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe, maybe in 2020, we'll have, we can cross our fingers and hope because I would love, 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 love a Dutch style world championships in Dutch style racing. You know, much as I love the Kauberg and the and the Limburg Hills, I would really love to see it go through some of those just stunningly, terrifyingly awful echelon madness parts of the world. I would love that. So please cross your fingers for me and hope that's going to happen. Oh, what was that amazing video from, what was it, spring last year when um, when they were talking about that and um, and I think it was Anna van der Brugge where the, the camera goes, and what do we do if it's windy? And she just sort of grins like the most evil grin in the, in, in the history of evil grins and goes, we put them in the gutter. <laughs> Now, there is good news for Kirsten Veals because the UCI announced a ton of changes to different racing this year. And in something that's going to have track fans possibly scratching their head a little bit, but still, they've changed the Omnium again. 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 The Omnium, it's possibly a little bit disappointing for your Kirsten Veals and Jolene Doras and your Amelie Diedrichsons um, that it's been changed now rather than before the Olympics. But the Omnium has been six races, three endurance bunch races and three sprint races. Right. Uh, sorry, three times. 
is against the clock. So you have your your 500 meters, so your your 200 meter flying lap, your 500 meters, your 3k pursuit, your scratch race, your points race, and your elimination race. Yep, yep. Over two days. From this year, the Omnium is going to be four races over one day, all endurance races. They're going to be scratch points, elimination, and the tempo race, which is a race where you get points every lap finish for crossing each lap first, I think. It's going to be ridiculous, but it's also going to be playing into the hands of your road riders, your Kirsten Bills, your Amelie Diedrich. I actually wonder if Emily Diedrichson is going to end up with in six months' time with two world championships. Huh. It just it, it just seems such a weird change up to the Omnium, though. Like it's it's to, to I, I mean yeah. There have been lots been lots of changes, and the thing that's really weirdest about the track changes is um, a couple of, so a couple of years ago they changed the the team pursuit. Women used to ride it three kilometers with over three kilometers with three riders. Yeah. Yep. The individual pursuit was three kilometres. Then they moved that to four riders over four kilometres for the team pursuit, but still kept the individual pursuit as three kilometres. Made no sense. The men in the team sprint ride three uh, three man teams, um, uh, seven hundred and fifty metres in total. The women team sprint ride two women teams over two laps for five hundred metres. And instead of riding a kilo, the women ride a um, uh, uh, 500 meters now I- i've said this before i come from a swimming and running background so the idea that you know i mean if someone had said to me when i was uh running when i was when i was 15 oh sorry sarah you can't do the 1500 meters because you're a girl you just get to write run oh let's say 1100 meters or one or, or a kilometer while the boys run 1500s i would have just gone what the fuck it would have yeah. just been made no sense same with swimming. If someone had said you can't swim four hundred meters, Sarah, you just swim three hundred meters. I'd have been. I just wouldn't have got it. Yeah, yeah. It so, just doesn't make sense. It honestly doesn't. It doesn't make sense, and it doesn't make sense that they haven't changed it this time. I don't get it. It's completely bizarre. Now, some people argue that, oh yes, but you know, it'd be so much harder for smaller cycling nations to be able to compete if they have to find three sprinters. However. Your top sprinting nations, Germany, China, Britain, Australia, completely dominate sprinting at team sprinting as it is, you know? Yeah. So there's no, there's no, that, that, that doesn't wash. It's not like some smaller nation sometimes beats them. No, 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 no. It's always like the top four nations going against each other anyway, so. Yeah, well, I mean, like, like your small nations going against them is going to be like, you know, Great Britain or New Zealand or, you know, another nation with a similar level program for that event. So, like, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's bonkers. But we also have more good news on the track. They're introducing at Worlds a women's Madison. Oh, finally. Finally. Uh, women ride the Madison in tons of countries, Australia specifically, um, in the Netherlands, they've done it for years, in Britain, they do it for years, lots and lots of countries ride, women women ride the Madison, you can see women ride the Madison at six days as well, yep. so, but that's particularly good news, and it's particularly good news for your likes of, I can just see Julia Lett and Amelia Diedrichsen, I can just see how hard it's going to be for the Dutch to get into the Madison team, I wonder if this will tempt Marianne Voss back to the track, because I think Marianne <laughs> Voss would love to love to become world medicine chair. Holy shit! Mariana Voss and Kirsten Field. Oh, oh, shivers. Oh, Mariana Voss and Ellen Van Dyke. Oh my god! <laughs> it was just glorious. 
Oh, goodness me. Goodness um, me. Is that all the track changes or...? That's, well, there's various other track changes that are weird. Um, we'll put links to the rule changes in there. Um, mountain bike, downhill mountain bike. Like everything's half glass half full and glass half empty at the moment. So yay to track, tra- track changes. Boo to not all the track changes that everyone wants. And no one can really understand why. Um, mountain bike, downhill. Yay to bringing in a junior category at the World Cups. Yep. But boo... Them reducing the junior, they've said there's too many riders in mountain bike world cups, so they're reducing the number of women who can ride in the mountain bike world cups to 15. Right, um, which what downhill, downhill only. Now, there is an issue in downhill in that there's a massive, massive, massive um skills differentiation between rider number one, Rachel Atherton, and even rider number five, yeah. And then between ride number five and ride number ten, and ride number ten and ride number twenty, but it's just gutting. I'm... Yeah, but at the same time, Rachel Atherton herself will swear on a stack of whatever sacred document you care to produce that the whole reason, for example, she had such an incredible season this year was because of how much more the riders in position five onwards are improving. You know, like like, yeah. and how I I don't understand how riders are meant to improve if they literally can't race. I mean, I guess the idea is that they are supposed to race their um, their like local circuits and things, but it's just it's it's really hard. It's really really hard for them, and 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 it's and the thing that's really annoying about it is they're not changed. There's equally a massive massive skills differential between rider number one of the men and yeah while the top 15 might have a smaller gap, there's still the same gap between rider number one and the last rider. You yeah, know, yeah. like. It's, it's not like, and, and you know, Rachel Atherton, she goes faster than than like all but the very to, all all but a handful of the very top men. You know, she's yeah, yeah. Um, in in, where, in parts of the course. It's not like it's 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 frustrating and it's annoying and it's it's like it's saying, okay, well, we need to reduce the number of riders overall, so we're going to reduce the number of under twenty three men and we're going to reduce the number of um, women, but we're not going to reduce the number of and and then then you also have this ironic thing of yeah, we're introducing a women's uh, junior world a junior world cup race you know junior world cup for the women but they then won't be able to go into the elites <laughs> so oh, yeah God. it's oh, yeah they're glass I... half full glass half empty jeez so there's another glass half full glass half empty thing going on and part of this is my fault for seeing it as glass half empty because i completely believed the rumours that there was going to be a multi-stage Tour de France for women this year. I was very excited about that. Um, I'd read it online, but what it's actually going to be is La Course is going to be changing. And the glass half full is that La Course is going to be changing. It's going to be the same on some of the same routes as the men's penultimate stage, I think, or penultimate road stage, road race stage of the Tour de France that includes part of the Col de Isouard. Hurrah! Yeah, I'm I'm very glass half empty on this, I have to say. Yeah, why are you glass half empty? Well, okay, there's a lot of reasons. It's like you say, it's part of that that um stage, so it's shorter, it's 67 kilometers um total. It's on a day of the week that is different to 
the finale. And yes, I'm very aware that I have aired more than my fair share of complaints about La Course and the the commessa that it basically is on on Le Champs Elysees. But that is on the final day of the tour with huge crowds roadside and guaranteed massive TV coverage. Um, so putting it to a, a midweek stage that. Um, is not even the same length, and I, I'm just not thrilled about that. Most of all, though, I'm pissed off that ultimately, even if you personally believe that it's a better stage and a more interesting race, and and by some miracle it's going to achieve the same level of coverage, even if even if it did all of those things, my biggest frustration is that it is still not, in my opinion, tangible improvement over a one day race that that holds little meaning in in the grand scheme of things like it's it's not even even uh, i joked with you last week oh what if it's a like a tour of california style three-day stage race i i would actually fucking choose that right now as an option if it were available i I, i'm so frustrated and infuriated and i i'm i'm even more pissed off by the the smug and snide kind of bullshit from certain people i'm not going to name names jonathan waters on twitter today who was saying shit like oh people upset at the uci over this um are, are wrong and should be pointing their ire at aso actually i pointed at both because uh, yeah aso are the organizers they're the ones who decide the the stage and the length and coverage and and whatever so yeah absolutely they should be in the firing line but in my opinion i don't see how the uci with a straight face can call this a world tour race i just don't i i a 67 kilometer climb up half a mountain that doesn't even finish not... at the same spot as the men's race like and i'm fucking furious that... This is the thing, and Nicole Cook pointed out that, like, she's like in two thousand and eight, the whole they rode the whole of the um the whole of the Isuard was the first climb. Then they then they then they rode Mont Mont Genève, which is one hundred one thousand eight hundred and fifty meters, and then they finished on Siestre on, on Siestre Siestre um Siestre, which was two thousand and thirty five meters high. Yeah. Now here the here are the two most bullshit reasons I've heard people try and give it. Oh yeah, but a it's okay because mountain stages often are shorter than mountain races often are shorter than 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 sprint stages not by a hundred kilometers yeah i mean this i mean it's, it's insane like yeah. the giro when the giro go i mean the giro had a short day stage and we thought it was very short when they went over um where have they went to this year one of the big oh, big um, epic uh, motorola that was like 90 kilometers yeah yeah yep. and then says oh yeah but it's not but it's still the same length as la, as la course and it's like yeah you know what la course is stupidly short no one no one i've never seen anyone say yeah you know what i think that la course is a really good length yeah. like i've seen a lot of people like me going yeah i'd actually rather it was a crit because crits are fantastic but anyway yeah i'm i'm just oh we're, oh, we're I, I, I get full. i get that's half full at least they get to ride a climbing race. Yeah. Glass half full. At least no one's sitting there going, "Oh well, yeah, we should just be happy about this," because as Nicole Cook says, the women have 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 ridden Col d'Isoard before. You know, this isn't a, this isn't like something that they can't yeah. do. Yeah. I mean, you know, we saw it in. I mean, even but in. I, um, I, think, it's a bit... I think that's the thing that galls me the most is watching all of the officials. And look, I get that they've got to hold the party line. But it just fucking makes my gorge rise watching watching UCI officials and ASO 
tweeting this shit and publicizing this shit and going it's a great step forward i i just i want to vomit it's it's just oh god anyway we're also going to talk about um a lot of the calendar next week we just want to talk about this specifically mm. right now because it was um topical because, yeah i mean world's yeah. Worlds, ultimately, my bottom line thing on Worlds, Worlds should not have been in Qatar. Generally, according to um, in, Innering, uh, Worlds usually costs countries something like four to five million euros to host Worlds, yeah? Which right. is one of the reasons that, that only wealthy cycling countries can do it. However, the rumours have been saying, and we'll find out next year, that the UCI, under Pat McQuaid's, allowed Qatar to have Worlds because they paid 10 million euros. Right. Right. I might be wrong about the currency, but you know, it's five million of currency A normally for normal countries, and yeah. they're paying ten million of so currency A. Double. Okay. I mean, that's I, I. I. It was in Qatar for the wrong reasons. The the, the heat issues were ridiculous. The oh. lack of crowds were ridiculous. The course was, you know, to be honest, boring. Even the men's race, although they had the amazing Belgian moment where everyone was surprised that. They were in cross. They were about to turn a corner into crosswinds, and the Belgians attacked and exploded, and the race mm. exploded. And I, I don't understand how this was a surprise. Um, I don't get it at all. But you know, even the men just the men just soft pedaled. You know, just rode yeah. together around their round round their seven laps because you know it's very very hot, and why not? And so worlds was worlds was it shouldn't have been there, but as always, the riders rode fantastically. This I am happy you know we had massively deserving champions in both the world both road races that made me super happy and i enjoyed watching them absolutely but, um, yeah yeah and so i mean that that's actually a really good positive to to wrap up on and i'm glad we got back to that um we'll be back next week to talk calendar and also calendar and also cyclocross i just want to say yes we did have zonhoven this weekend which was yep. amazing and for the first time getting to watch the super prestige women's races all the way through which was just astounding like i can't i genuinely can't say it enough how exciting and important it is we won't get all of the women's super prestige road races but we're going to get a load of them yeah and being able to watch zonhoven zonhoven for the first time live entirely full and if you're in britain getting to watch all the cyclocross on bike channel if you've got sky and virgin it's just extraordinary. And I've got links to that in our post, prowomenscycling.com, where I'll have links to other things too. And yes. Awesome. Uh, if you would like to, to discuss any and all of this with us, uh, you can find Sarah at underscore pigeons underscore on Twitter. I am at Dan W official. Uh, you can, of course, go to patreon.com slash women's cycling and uh, for the price of a couple of bucks a month, uh, make yourself feel better about the world by uh, helping Sarah continue to contribute to it. And um, in the meantime, look out for all of the, uh, the latest in team transfer rumors and news and stuff. And we'll be back to talk more of that with you next week maybe even with matching socks who knows <laughs> yes maybe 